wonderful things being available on streaming services, especially brand new things. There is a plethora of new content out there for people to enjoy. So what better time than now to go back and rewatch a show I've seen, honestly, through from beginning to end, probably two to three times. Not as many times as I would have thought. And that is Avatar The Last Airbender. We're right on the heels, or the, the cusp, however you want to phrase it, of a new version of this show being created with live action actors over there on the Netflix. And um, everything about the casting of that show delights me. I think it is going to, at least from that point of view, it stands to be pretty G-dang decent. Um, however... You know, it will it will be a, a wholly different creature than the animated series. Even if it is a shot-for-shot, note-for-note, line-for-line recreation, it will, by its very nature, be different. And so I thought it would be kind of fun for me to look back on the fucking animated show. Um, and we're going to do it episode by episode. Um, I, obviously not as long as the... What is it? That... Uh, that uh, um, Braving the Elements, there's like an official podcast with uh, Dante Bosco and Janet Varney uh, as they dissect uh, each episode on their own. I was just going to kind of share my thoughts and feelings about each effing episode and go on from there as I am in the middle of rewatching it. So after each episode, I'm just going to pop in and be like, hey, here's my thoughts on it. And uh, that is just what we're going to do. So let's get started. Like many classic animated shows, Avatar The Last Airbender opens with a two-parter. We get part one, The Boy and the Iceberg, and part two, The Avatar Returns. And as I've said countless times, a pilot is difficult to do. It is hard to do a goddamn pilot. Where this pilot excels is that there's not a lot of characters to introduce. In the first two episodes, there are five characters that matter. Six if you count Appa, seven if you count the grandmother, whom we don't ever really see again is according to my memory. So keeping the character and cast size small in those early episodes makes a difference. Two, you need to build the world. And right out the gate, the show begins with narration, which admittedly is not the the, the best way to deliver kind of exposition but when we're talking about developing an entire world essentially right out the gate it's not a bad way of doing it especially considering the medium uh i always like to compare pilots in terms of their story structure and stuff like that um game of thrones if we use that as an example say what you will about how that show ended but it began incredibly well Game of Thrones did a little bit of world building with the White Walkers right out the gate, and then it spent the rest of its runtime basically introducing something like 12 to 15 key players over the course of the entire effing show um, in that first episode. A Herculean task that they do pretty g-dang well. And here, all we need to d- establish is Aang, Sokka, Katara, Zuko, and Iroh. That's it. That's all you need to establish in the beginning. Sokka is the funny one right out the gate. We get it. Katara is the waterbending one. She's kind of, she's got like, you know, something to prove maybe. She's, she's very like, 
aware of her role in her people's culture being the last free waterbending uh, individual from the Southern Water Tribe. Aang, you know, he's this kid. The first things out of his mouth are like, will you go penguin sledding with me? Just showing that he's just, he's all about that kid. Zuko is like, I need to capture the Avatar to restore my honor. Iroh's saying some dope-ass wise shit. Uh, that's like, they, through through their dialogues and mannerisms, they tell you about themselves beautifully. You understand what everybody's about. At the beginning of the show, you understand what everybody's about. Every single one of these characters goes through an incredible story arc over the course of this show. And you get no hint that such beauty is is coming down the pipeline with these characters. They're all fairly standard archetypal. You know, you've got your you got your classic villain character, you've got your your goofy sidekick, you've got the what will eventually become the love interest, you've got the main character Aang, and then you've got Iroh, who's the bit of the X factor. Everybody like Iroh's the mentor character to the villain, absolutely. But over the at least I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in in the context of these first two episodes, he's there as, as sort of like a guide to um to Zuko. You know, he's in charge of his firebending training. And he's like, you know, you still have not mastered the basics. You know, you're not ready for the advanced set. And Zuko's getting all uppity because he's like, I'm going to need more advanced fire training to defeat him. You will teach me the advanced set. And all that stuff. The setting of the world. I mean, you know, you've got the four kingdoms, the four elements. It's all very simple, but it's done so fucking beautifully. From basing the different bendings off of different um, martial arts from the clothing to the way they look to the way they act to the way their cities are developed all of those things it's in, it's an incredible amount of world building we don't get a lot of that obviously in the first couple of episodes um we basically get the start of the journey um and that's another thing that i thought this pilot did really well it establishes um the the goal of the show at least of the first season pretty Easily and pretty much right at the gate. Katara is a waterbender. There's nobody in the water, South Water Tribe to teach her to be a waterbender. Aang has the ability to get her to the North Pole. Hey, let's go to the North Pole. That's it. It's the plot of the whole fucking show. And then it's discovered that Aang is the Avatar. And that he also needs to master waterbending. So hey, you know what? It's a trauma too for everybody who goes to the North Pole. It's an incredibly good and strong pilot. It's a little cheaty that it's the first two episodes, um, which I get because of like how the show's creation restrictions are. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if I was to say, I, I always hated that where it's like, oh yeah, this show gets really good, but you got to give it like three or four episodes. Um, that's not the case here. For me, I was hooked pretty much right out the gate because the characters are so charming and well constructed that you basically get sucked right into it right out of the start of the show so that's that's my view on it at the very least incredibly good pilot it's hard to it's hard to nitpick it um and it's hard to point at one that understands what a pilot needs to be and accomplishes that goal better let's move on to the next episode Episode 3, The Southern Air Temple. So this one, uh, we are now on the journey, and Zuko and Iroh are pursuing Aang, and Aang is doing all this stuff, and he wants to go to the Southern Air Temple, um, because he doesn't believe that, you know, essentially, 
all the airbenders have been completely annihilated um, by the firebenders a hundred fucking years ago. And so he gets to the Southern Air Temple and they're reminiscing about the culture and Sokka's like, how do you play airball? Which I thought was a losing proposition pretty much right out the gate because Sokka's not an airbender. So how the fuck was he going to win that? I always thought that was kind of stupid because it's like, he, he can't. He's not an airbender. He just can't play the game. So what's the point? Um, and then they discover uh, like the, the hall full of avatar statues which is a cool room, but why is it in the Southern Air Temple of all places? Why would why would the Southern Airbenders be like, hey, you know what we could really use? A massive chamber full of statues of past Avatar lives that serve virtually no purpose. That just seems like a bad civil planning decision to me. Um, and then Aang discovers the corpse of his mentor, Monk Gyatso, um, who is surrounded by a litany of firebending guys. Um, and I actually saw this the other day, uh, where people were theorizing, like, how the fuck that happened, because when the Fire Nation attacked the Southern Air Temple, as far as we're aware, that was at the, like, Sozin used the comet to strike the first blow against the, the, the airbenders, right? Because he knew that the airbending, like, the next Avatar was going to be an airbender, so he used the, the comet to wipe him out. So those firebenders were charged by Sozin's Comet, which, you know, spoilers, by the time the third season rolls around, we know that firebenders under that power are insanely strong. Like, just napalm levels of unholy fires kind of strong. But Gyatso seemingly took out a whole fucking mess of them whilst they were fucking top-tiered firebending, which... It seems like it might have been like a sort of self-sacrificing situation where he just sucked all the air out of the room. No fire without air. They all suffocated to death, but so did Gyatso. It's most likely what happened. Uh, which is a baller-ass move. Um, anyway, Aang gets all super upset because everybody's dead and the Fire Nation are full of monsters. And he activates the Avatar State for the first time. Um, we don't know if that's what it's called. We... Don't get a name for that until I believe season two, even though he goes into the Avatar State. Uh, oh, my apologies. He goes into the Avatar State in the uh, the second episode when he does the water bending thing. That was the first time he did it. My mistake. He goes into the Avatar State here a second time. You can stop your emails. I corrected myself. Calm down. Um, and yeah, we don't get a title for that until I believe the first episode of season two. Um, and it is not the last time that he enters the Avatar State. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a, it's a good episode to, oh, and then Katara, like, calls him the fuck down and then they leave. Um, and Katara's line of, like, Sokka and I, we're your family now. To me, seems a little premature, because it's only the third episode, and I haven't really earned that yet. Um, but I like it. I like the, the sentiment behind it. Uh, you're definitely going to become family, but I wouldn't say you're quite there yet. Well, that's just me nitpicking. Um, I love the design of the Southern Air Temple being on a mountaintop. It makes a lot of sense with the flying, flying bison and all that shit. It's just fucking rad. So, good goddamn episode. I mean, I'm gonna be... Every episode is good. Even, even the bad ones are good. There is not... As far as I remember, there is not a bad episode of Avatar Last Airbender. So, regard... Like, me reviewing it and being like, 6 out of 10... Like, there's no point. It's all good. But let's talk about the next one. Episode 4 of Season 1, The Warriors of Kyoshi. So, Aang is, 
he's you know Ang Ang likes Katara. No no secret about it. You know he's he's jonesing for for Katara, and it takes a while for Katara to start thinking of Ang in the same way. A while, like it's pretty much the whole length of the show. Um, I don't even recall like what the nature of their relationship is at like the very end. Like if they kiss or not, I can't fucking remember. It's been so fucking long. Um, I look forward to finding out though, because I I I love Ang and Katara. I think they're they're adorable and wonderful. Um, anyway, Aang is, Aang is like, he's trying to show off and be like, hey, check out all this cool shit I can do. And Katara's just, she's got other things on her mind. It's not that she doesn't care. It's that she has other things going on and she can't be focused on Aang 100% of the time, all the time. But Aang doesn't quite get that. So they end up going to Kyoshi so he can do something with a koi fish or something. Yeah, he rides a koi fish and then the Unagi shows up and... Uh, they're ambushed by the warriors of Kyoshi. And this is our, our character introduction of Suki, who is fucking fantastic. Um, an absolute firecracker. She is aces. Um, and we also are introduced to um, the second past life avatar, which is Avatar Kyoshi, who was the avatar that preceded Avatar Roku. Now, there is actually... Fun fact, and I will read them one day. I have it. It's over in my bookcase, I promise you. There is a two-book book series. I believe a third one is on the way about the life of Avatar Kyoshi. They they made a novel, uh, like a novelization of, of Kyoshi's life and what she did. And I think that is awesome. And I am very excited to read those books one day. Um, and I will be audiobooking it. Um, but my, my current knowledge of Kyoshi is that she was kind of, um, much more ruthless than, uh, Roku or Aang is. Um, I believe Kyoshi was not, uh, afraid to kill. Um, Kyoshi grew up in a, in a fairly rough situation, um, I think they grew up on the street. I don't know. I haven't read the fucking book, but Kyoshi's a fucking badass, and you don't mess with Kyoshi. And so these warriors are stylized, um, both in appearance and fighting style after Kyoshi. Um, and Sokka is just being a little sexist twat, you know. Women can't be warriors, you know, women are better at sewing up pants and shit, blah da blah da blah. Da. Um, and it's nice that this episode exists to disabuse Sokka of this notion right the fuck away at the beginning of the series, so we never have to deal with as far as I'm aware, Asaka being sexist plotline again. He gets the shit kicked out of him, and he learns right the fuck quick that it doesn't matter what you are, it matters what you can do. So, yeah, you can be born as anything, you can choose to be whatever. And that's the point, you know? Just because you're something doesn't mean you can't do a thing. This being very, you know, wide-sweeping and all that stuff, but... Yeah, basically, this episode exists so Aang learns to... Not be a fucking dill hole, um, and for Sokka to not be a fucking dill hole, and for Katara to kind of just keep doing what they were doing because they didn't really do anything wrong. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of it. Oh, and, and then Aang saves the town, and, and Zuko loses a battle and continues to chase after him. I love the addition of Suki, um, and I love it when she comes back because that's that's one thing that the show does very very well um i'm sure you've heard it said in jest 
but I I will um oh, what is it? Crap. I think it's Chekhov's gun. I believe is the the phrasing of it where if you introduce something in the first act of a play like a gun, chances are by the third act of the play somebody's going to use that fucking gun. You know, it's all about establishing things early on in order to build upon them later. I use this in D&D all the fucking time. It's what what it's what draws your readers in or your players in to caring about the world around them. If you introduce an NPC like session 1 day 1 and then that NPC shows up like several months later as like a villain or whatever, you know, then your characters will go, "Oh my god, it's this guy." This show does that a lot. With the return of Suki, with the return of Jet, like all these fucking characters that are established like right out the gate in the beginning of the show show up later to do pretty amazing things. There's there's very few wasted characters or wasted opportunities. This show is is kind of like a it's like a painting with exactly the right amount of paint to complete the image. There's no wasted strokes, there's no wasted movement because you can't afford any. Everything matters. And so it all needs to be done painstakingly perfect. And that's what the show really excels in. Um, and the establishment of Kyoshi, of, of, of Suki, of like Aang's personality, all of those fucking things. Sokka's understanding that he's not the greatest warrior ever and that he has room to grow and change. That's an ongoing theme as well. Like, everybody in the show gets better at what they do as the show progresses. Including Sokka. Sokka becomes, like, a master stratician and an inventor and a swordsmith and, like, you know, all this fucking crazy shit. Sokka goes through some awesome crap. Um, and it's... it's Sokka is probably the most interesting in terms of growth, like... I love Aang's journey to master the elements. I love Katara becoming really, really fucking good at waterbending. But Sokka doesn't have those those gifts. And so he needs to come up with, like, strengths of his own. And he actually finds those those niches about, like, tactician and strategy and all that crap. And that's where he fits in. And it's, it's an awesome thing to see grow. And we get the hint of that with the Warriors of Kyoshi as he starts that journey, which I thought was, was awesome. Five, the King of Umashu. This episode is iconic. Uh, if, if I can close my eyes and see the whole episode again, I love the, the structure of the city of Umashu. I love the introduction of the, the cabbage salesman. Um, if there's one thing I love, it's a running gag. And, uh, I mean, the Muppets were great at running gags. Uh, this show has, uh, my recollection is quite a few running gags. Um, probably none more so famous than the cabbage, cabbageman, senior, senior cabbageman, um, you know, with all of his, my cabbages and all that stuff. Um, a running gag that even carries into Legend of Korra. Um, and I do plan on rewatching that one as well. Cause while I have seen Avatar The Last Airbender more than once, I only ever saw Korra once. And that was as each episode aired. And then that was it. I never saw it again. I own it on DVD, but I never saw it again. And it's not that I didn't like it. I just never saw it again. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the King of Amashu. And this one introduces the character of King Boomy, 
who uh, is a incredibly powerful Earthbender, um, and just like I, just like Suki, just like Jet, who we'll talk to you, talk about in a little bit. All those things. Boomy does come back later on in the show and does some incredibly awesome fucking things. Um, but right now he's just this crazy old king who imprisons Aang and uh, sets about some challenges um, to to test Aang's metal and then uh, threatens to maybe not kill uh, Katara and Sokka, but to imprison them in rock candy or whatever. And Aang conquers the challenges and then they get into an earthbending fight. And, um, I believe, looks at the episodes, um, this is kind of our first real experience with earthbending. Um, and we get, uh, a good sense of, like, the different kind of, like, martial styles. We got a lot of firebending, we got a lot of uh, airbending, and we've definitely got a lot of waterbendings, you know, much more fluid. Uh, airbending is all about, like, kind of evasion and dodging and fire. Uh, bending, as Iroh tells us, comes the strength of it comes from the breath, not the muscles. Uh, fucking earth bending is all about like strength and rigidity, and using like the power of the earth and these rocks to accomplish your goals. It's a lot of closed fists. It's a lot of like rigid, sharp, strong movements. It's a lot of stuff like that, and so we get a, a really nice fight uh, between Aang and Boomy. That goes without saying. The fight scenes in this show, excellent. Really fucking good. Because not only do we have the, the dramatic nature of, you know, element versus element, um, but with Aang being an airbender, we also get the the aspect of, like, traversal. Uh, there's a wonderful shot in uh, episode 10, Jet, where Aang is just running away from Jet. And Jet is using his hook swords to keep up on all of its stuff. And it's just, like, the movement through the trees and stuff like that is, is really dynamic and fun. Um, and this fight with, uh, Boomy is also pretty dynamic and fun, and Boomy sets up the, the goal, really. I mean, we get more details about the goal, uh, later on, but Boomy's like, you must defeat Fire Lord Sozin and, like, fight the Fire Nation. That's what you gotta do. The Avatar, that's your goal. Um, and Aang on some level knows that, but it's nice to have it stated so bluntly in terms of the show um boomy gives uh ang the goal and then roku in a couple of episodes gives ang the timeline in order to achieve that goal um and they all learn very valuable lessons and they go along their merry way oh and there's that once again the cabbage man shows up uh we get ponzu pippin patalopsicopolis the third which is just i always love that um, I also loved how fucking on the ball Katara was where she was like, hi, Judy Pippin Pathalopsicopolis or whatever. She's just like fucking, she just had it. So the other prepped that name ahead of time, which it doesn't sound like is what happened because it sounded like Aang made up the nickname on the spot, which makes Katara's like fucking like with it, wit just so much sharper. And it's just, it's just great. Um, and they pulled, they pull that move again in season three where um, Sokka's like, my name is Fazu, like Fazu Sapphire, and this is my wife Sapphire, and Katara's like, Sapphire Fire, it's so good to meet you, and it's just like, she's just so fucking on it, it's just excellent, uh, great goddamn episode. Number six, Imprisoned. This one is, I don't want to say it's forgettable, because it has some awesome fucking heart in it, 
Um, but it was also one of those episodes where as soon as it started, I was like, oh yeah, it's this one. And it's not like there's anything bad in this episode. You know, it's not like some of those episodes in season two where I haven't watched in, in previous rewatches years ago, I would skip those episodes because I can't emotionally take it. Um, this one is kind of teetering on that because it's, it's a much darker episode than any of the ones we've seen before. There are, there are multiple moments of like rousing speeches that just fall on ears that can hear the speech, but just have lost the will to, to fight back. Um, but essentially what happens is they meet Haru, who again does return later on, uh, which is just fucking astounding. It's just like, oh yeah, remember Haru from one fucking episode in season one for about six minutes? Yeah, here he is again. Oh wow, really? All right, fine. Um, and Haru's an Earthbender, and he's in a village of of Earth of Earth people um, who are forbidden to Earthbend because the Fire Nation, like y'all, can't do that. Oh, like, we're gonna put you on our fo- floating floating barge prison, and you're just gonna go there to die. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Haru gets found out because he saved the life of an old man, and the old man sold him out because the old man's a vindictive fuck. Um, and then Katara's like, I'm gonna go get locked up in prison and find Haru. And then she does. And then we see George Takai as um, the fucking warden. I'm your warden. And then he says the, the what was it, the, the fucking, was it a buffalo or a bison? That's not really the point, is it, sir? I'll decide what the point is, fool. You know, it's just fucking classic. Um, and uh, they hatch this great plan to give, um, oh, also, uh, Haru's dad, Tyro, is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, who is incredibly prolific and is just has a, such a great fucking voice. Anyway, um, they hatch a plan to get the coal from the bottom of the ship up to the Earthbenders so they can free themselves, which they do. Um, and then they're like, we're going to take back all our villages. And um, Katara loses her mother's necklace. Um, you'll notice that this is something that Katara does quite a bit in, in season one. Somebody will be like, hey, how's it going? And then Katara's next words are instantly like, Sokka and I lost our mother to the Fire Nation. I was just asking how your day was. I don't need to know your whole life story. Um, and, it, it, I mean, they're children, so you can't really blame them. But, like, in episode 10, like, Jack goes, I lost my parents to the Fire Nation when I was eight. I, you know, I, my life changed that day. And Katara doesn't even provide sympathy. She just goes, we lost our mother to the Fire Nation. And then Jack goes, I'm so sorry, Katara. But, like, Jesus. Could you, could you have waited a minute for me to tell you my thing before you just fucking leap in on top and story time? No, you're just going to go at that? That's fine. That's whatever. You know, fuck me for sharing, right? Um, and again, it's just like, I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna chalk it up to their kids and that Katara doesn't really have like those social cues, especially because she grew up in like a village of 13 other people. So that's totally fair and warranted that you may not know how to talk to people. Um, so there's that. Uh, I do like this episode, but if, if I was going to skip an episode out of the, out of these first six, it'd probably be this one because while it does a great job of establishing Katara's like love for, I'm going to call them the little people, um, you know, like your, your standard citizens, um, even though these are all incredibly powerful earthbenders and so I wouldn't really consider them to be standard, but that that's well established in this episode and i love that about katara um 
So I see why it's necessary, but I'm still kind of like, yeah, let's just move this shit along. You know, it's just dub it up it up God. All right, cool. Moving on. Ah, these two episodes. So I actually remember that this was like, when, when this show first aired, I believe this was like the mid season kind of finale. Um, would be my guess. Like, after this shit aired, there was a break. Um, and then they came back in with new episodes. That's my recollection. Um, I think it might have been like an event week or something. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Winter Solstice. Part 1 and Part 2. Um, we get some incredible world building here. Apparently, the showrunners decided it wasn't enough to have just, you know, magic element fighting. Um, and while there was a little bit of a hint of this, right, with the whole past lives things and stuff like that, and especially with the Avatar state, like, the showrunners knew what was happening there. The past lives channeling into Aang in order for him to, you know, wield the power of all the past Avatars. Um, well, that requires the, 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 you know, the souls of the previous Avatars to exist somewhere. And thus we get the spirit world, which is something that is vaguely defined throughout the course of Avatar The Last Airbender, and is more explicitly defined in Legend of Korra. For better or worse, I'll make that determination when we get to those episodes. Um, but essentially what happens is we discover there was a huge forest fire and just a bunch of trees are gone. And they encounter uh, a village who's being attacked by a giant spirit named Heibai, the black and white spirit, who's been taking people into the spirit realm in, in anger. And Aang doesn't know dick about the spirit world, not a fucking thing. And he tries to fight Heibai and Sokka gets kidnapped. And so Aang pursues Heibai and ends up getting accidentally knocked into the spirit realm. Meanwhile, Iroh is off in a fucking jacuzzi. Um, and he gets kidnapped by Earthbenders. And they're going to apparently march Iroh's ass across the entire Earth Kingdom to the capital city of Ba Sing Se. Which would have been like weeks or months on the road. Which you don't really appreciate when it's first said in this season but it's really fucking far from where they're at and those goddamn ostrich horses weren't gonna make the fucking journey anyway Ira gets kidnapped um and Zuko pursues and Aang is in the spirit world for the first time and he is approached by Roku's um dragon who goes like hey you gotta go talk to Roku he's on this island of fire nation let me go show you uh, and they fly over there, and Aang learns that he can only talk to Roku on the solstice, uh, which turns out to be, gasp, tomorrow. Um, but we'll get to that. One thing I thought was really interesting, and that I don't think we ever get a hard and fast explanation for, is that Iroh can see Aang and the dragon fly overhead in the spirit world he sees them he visibly reacts and notices them but nobody else does and then he plays it off well why can he do that and how come it doesn't happen all the goddamn time my guess is that Aang and the dragon were incredibly powerful spirit energy wise right it's also the solstice. So the spirit world and the the mortal world, the lines between those are blurred on days like the solstice. Excuse me. So 
I think Iroh is, is absolutely more in tune with the spirit world than most people are. Because he's amazing. Um, and that's pretty much all the explanation that we get. It's just that he's just super dope and he just knows things and can see things. So that's just part of what he's all about. Um, but he, yeah, so Aang goes to the temple uh, and gets brought back from the temple and figures out that Heibai was the spirit of the forest and he's this big floofy panda. And um, they save the village and everybody gets rescued. And then we get into part two where Aang is like, I gotta go to this temple to go meet Roku, um, but BT dubs, it's in the Fire Nation. And everybody's like, oh, she is a whiz. We gotta go, and we gotta go there, like, now. And so they're zipping over to the Fire Nation, and Zuko and Iroh are pursuing them to the Fire Nation, and then there's this big old blockade uh, led by Commander Zhao, who, up until now, I have not spoken about. Um, mostly because, as important as he is for the first season, he's fairly ineffective. Um, he has the exact, like... <sighs> Think about it from a storytelling perspective. He has the exact same goal as Zuko. He's just not a banished prince. He's just a commander in the Fire Nation army whose goal is it is to to capture the Avatar. Um, so as far as the story is concerned, he serves the same role and can create some mild frustrations between our villain characters because they fight each other to go get Aang. And it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, but was this necessary? Do they really need to put Zhao in? And the answer is yes, because of what he does later. Um, but, you know, as of right now, he serves very little purpose in the overall story of, of what's being told here. Um, but both Aang and Zuko make it past the blockade. One because of skill and the other one because Zhao let him. And they go to the Fire Sages Temple on uh, the crescent-shaped island. And the Fire Sages are like, we're going to attack you. And one of them's like, hey, I'm your bud. They eventually get Aang into go see Roku. And Roku's like, you've got to learn all the elements before the end of next summer. Or as I like to call it, within three seasons of this show. Um, otherwise, Sozin's going to use the comet to wipe out all life on Earth. Uh, so, or not Sozin. Um, Ozai is going to use the comet to wipe out all life on Earth. So, good fucking luck, Aang. Uh, let's, I'll help you defeat these people so you can get the hell out of here. And, uh, it's a daunting, it's a daunting task. But now we have the timeline. He has till the end of summer. Um, and this show begins late summer the previous year. So basically he's got a winter and a spring and then the summer to, to get this shit done. Um, and as, if you want to break it down into seasons, winter, obviously, season one, uh, spring would be with, with Toph and the earth bending in season two. Season three is the 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 fire and the, the sun and all that stuff in the summer. That's kind of how it works out. Uh, once again, it's brilliant storytelling. I'm going to yawn. <sighs> I love the character of Roku. And it's also at this point that you realize that Roku is the one who's been going previously on Avatar. Um, and he's the firebender in the... Oh, no, sorry. He's not the firebender. My apologies. The firebender at the beginning of the show is Azula. Uh, the... And that... And then Aang is the airbender. We haven't met the other two characters in the opening credits just yet. Um, I do like this double-parter. And I love the show's use of two-parters. Because when it's done well, it's done exceedingly well. And there are definitely some episodes that 
the story is of such an importance that you kind of need the two-parter. Um, or, or even more than that. I believe the finale is told over four parts. I can't quite recall. Might be, it might just be three. Um, but still, you know, it's, it's important to do stuff like that. So I'm a big fan of this one. wondering oh hold on god diggity damn it um i'm in the middle of rewatching one of the episodes and i'm using the netflix like episode guide to tell me which episode it is all right episode nine the waterbending scroll um this is the the beginning of ang's journey to master waterbending katara shows him what she knows and as far as the plot is concerned that's that's one that's like the big thing here um, Katara being jealous of Aang's natural bending abilities, uh, makes sense, given that, you know, she's frustrated that it took her so long to get this good, and, uh, he learned it so fucking quickly. Um, that being said, Aang is, like, the world's best bender. That's kind of the whole point of the Avatar, but she's also a child, so I wouldn't really expect her to understand that, like, logically. She might understand it logically, but it, uh, accepting it emotionally is a different thing. Um, but there's no shame in being beaten by the best. Ever. That's just, you know, if you're in a competition and you get knocked out, but the person who kicked your ass goes on to win the entire thing, well, then there you go. You lost to the best. There's absolutely no shame in that. If you lose to anybody else, yeah, sure, there's a little bit of shame in that. But when you lose to the best, that's just what happens. And the only other thing of importance in this episode, because honestly, with like the pirates and stuff, there's some fun, like wacky antics and crap, but it just like shrug your shoulders. It doesn't fucking matter. The only other thing that matters, and this is a wonderful example, this is probably the best example of Chekhov's gun in this ship, is Iroh and the White Lotus tile. Because unlike a character, you have no idea that that will come back and how it comes back and in what form it comes back in but that white lotus tile is incredibly important and i'll just leave it at that and it's one of the coolest fucking things that the show ever did because it's the best example like you can do you can bring back characters all you want but when you bring back the white lotus tile in several moments spread across the whole show you're just like that's just next level writing that's just good goddamn shit um, and Aang learning waterbending is always fun. Um, however, if I had to pick, based on my memory, I had more fun with him learning earthbending than I did with waterbending. But if I had, if I was going to pick an element to bend, it would probably be water. Even though if I had a choice, oh man. I mean, honest to God, you'd have magical bending abilities. I'd be happy with any of them. Um, I feel like my, my personality would lean me more towards like, earth um and maybe fire uh i think air would probably be last if if i had a say in it but who the fuck knows uh, i'd be thrilled with any of them if i'm being perfectly honest episode 10 jet one thing i love about this episode is its use of color i think this episode does color a lot more than any of the other episodes and always for like dramatic effect you know like there's that line where jet's like 
maybe the Fire Nation don't have to worry about a bunch of kids, or maybe they should. And you're like, it, like everything goes red, and it's just like, fuck you. And you're just like, yay, whatever. Um, or that bit where Katara's like, ooh, Jet's so pretty, as they go up into the trees, and it's all yellow and romantic, and all that stuff. And um, this is the first time that Katara's like, oh, a boy, um, at least in the context of the show. Uh, but Aang, obviously, has no fucking clue. Like, there's just... It just goes right over his head. He has just no idea. He just doesn't pay attention to it. Um, and the parallels between Jet and Peter Pan and the, like, the Lost Boys is pretty fucking strong here. Um, especially, like, the, the scene of them in the trees, like, doing, like, the whole, like, celebratory cheer thing. Um, which I swear was just taken straight out of Hook. Like, it's a very familiar scene. Um, but what do you know it looks both ways? Jet's a bit of an asshole, and he's gonna kill just tons of innocent people in order to get rid of a few soldiers. What the fuck, Jet? Um, but Katara and Aang are just so enamored with, with Jet and his smooth-talking ways that they just don't see it. Um, but Sokka's, like, suspicious as all fuck. Um, and, of course, he's just proven right. Uh, and uh, it looks like his instincts are, are pretty fucking good. Um, and we get some really great emotional acting out of Katara like Jet you lied to me you monster you killed all those people and like hell hath no fury like Katara scorned she just fucking goes ballistic on him with, with waterbending and then freezes his ass which is the first time uh, not the first time we ever get freezing magic but it's just cool to see like that sort of stuff happen um, where she's like ooh and it's cold now and you're like ah fuck now I'm encased in ice um, and again, I mentioned it earlier, but Jet's chase scene with Aang is, is very dynamic and fun. How he could possibly keep up with Aang in the trees, though, is somewhat beyond me. Um, and it's also one of those things, the amount of strength that Jet would need in order to pull off some of those maneuvers is insane. It happens so fast and you don't really think about it, but to do what Jet does in, in that fight scene with anything let alone just those fucking thin ass hook swords is pretty incredible um and he is not a bender so i don't understand how he can do those things um it's it is very physically taxing um but yeah Sokka's growth in this episode of being like trusting his instincts and being a leader and all that stuff and knowing where the line is when you're fighting the fire nation blah 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 he learns a lot in this episode everybody learns a lot in this episode um except for jet i don't think jet learns a lot in this episode um jet jet jet's storyline is what i would consider to be tragic um and we'll get to that later um also the characters of Longshot and smellerby are introduced in this episode, and I'm only naming those two because they're the only ones that really fucking matter, I think. I think the other ones may reappear way later on down the road, but fuck me if I remember when or why. Um, but this is... If I was going to point at like an episode and be like, this is the one where Avatar goes from just being a good show to being a great show, it's probably Jet. But it requires the previous episodes in order for you to pre fully appreciate... The character growth that is represented in this episode that's the downside so yeah it's like this is where the show shows it's like ability to 
tell darker and more emotionally impactful stories. They tried it with a little bit imprisoned, but I feel like with this episode, they, they took it that next level and made it just so much better. And up next is the most controversial episode of all. When I first saw this episode, I didn't mind it. It's a little tried in that I've seen this sort of thing before. But boy, howdy. You know what? Having the the internet just at your constant beck and call really does uh, provide some, some extra information on top of your opinions. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Um, but I would easily say that this is probably one of the most disliked episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender out there. Um, a lot of people really don't like this episode, which I think is, is a shame because this episode does introduce a couple of things that I find to be quite helpful, um, for fleshing out the story. We've seen, you know, Fire Nation people imprisoning folks we've seen folks living under like fire nation rule um and this is uh one of the the best examples especially early on of people being displaced by the fire nation and forced to seek refuge elsewhere um in this case the uh these two tribes are journeying across the great divide which is the largest canyon in the uh in the world uh to get to the capital city the supposed safe haven of bossing say uh, which, if you're keeping track at home, is the second time the bossing say gets brought up um, in the course of the show. Chekhov's gun, yes, please. Um, the The characters of the tribes are are pretty bog standard, but they're they're good. Um, I personally enjoy the 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 mirroring of Katara and Sokka's earlier fight in the episode in terms of the tribes and their conflict and Aang's role as mediator as the Avatar. I'm gonna yawn again. <sighs> I think that's all well and good. I love the canyon crawlers. I think they're a really fun uh, enemy design. I love the battle with the canyon crawlers. I love how they get out of the canyon. Um, I like the the canyon guide who acts as, as sort of like a, a bit of a, of a wise individual for Aang to take inspiration off of. Um, honestly, I think this episode's fine. It even has some fun like animation when it t comes to the the telling of the like the the legend of the tribes and why they don't get along. I thought that was all well and good. Um, my biggest issue with this episode is the shitty, shitty lessons that this episode teaches. It teaches two. One, um, when uh, Katara's offered food, when they were all told explicitly not to bring food, she utters this gem of a line. Well, I guess it's okay if everyone's doing it, which is just terrible goddamn advice. Any way you slice it, that's just that's just bad. So fucking Jesus, Katara. Um, and then of course Aang's solution to make the tribes not fight anymore, uh, which is to lie, which is to make just up some bullshit and to lie straight to their faces. Um, and I don't approve of either of those messages. I don't give a fuck what the goddamn result was of like peace. You know, it's peace built on a lie. You know, do the ends justify the means? Yeah, I guess that's up to the individual's interpretation. Um, in this case, probably if the, if the, like, if the alternative was that they just straight up killed each other, then yes, that's probably better. Like, it's better that Aang lied, but 
then then I just get frustrated at like the story, I guess. Maybe maybe the this episode is trying to show like not every solution is clean and correct. You know, sometimes you got to make a hard call in a hard hard situation and while you may not have made the you know, a morally correct or just decision, you made the best decision you could have made in the moment with the information you had and it yielded the result it did and you did the best you could perhaps is, is what it's going for um personally i still think this is a fine episode but it, it is basically comparing like a b minus episode to an a plus show and simply due to the company it keeps it's hated for for those reasons i don't think it's technically bad i don't think it's bad story-wise i don't think it's you know, all that too terrible when it comes to anything else about the show or about this episode, but it is, it is a lesser beast than other things that we have seen before, um, or after. So that's probably why a lot of people are just like, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of that show or episode fucking God damn it. Um, I do love some of the vocal performances. You got Scott Manville, uh, who I best know for being, um, Robin in Teen Titans, uh, Rene Albergine or whatever the fuck his name is from Star Trek. He's done a lot of great voice acting. Um, may you rest in peace. And, uh, yeah, it's just some good goddamn vocal performances. I love the, the, uh, the voice of the, the head of like the messy, uh, tribe. I forget who, the, uh, performs that particular character. Uh, but they also do a wonderful job. So a lot of iconic voices. And a lot of this is indicative of the entire show, but it's surprising to me the level of actor that this show was able to command in its first season. Commander Zhao is voiced by Jason Isaacs, who was an incredible actor, um, and he's one of the main villains. Like that's just that's just amazing. You know, George Takai was already in an episode. Uh, I know, like, Mark Hamill shows up later. Just some some actual, factual, great goddamn actors are in this show. Not to mention some world-class voice acting from, like, Mae Whitman or Grey Delise slash Grey Griffin. Um, just, and then, of course, Iroh being voiced by Mako. Um, and then later, Greg Baldwin. Just great goddamn shit. All, all, all the way around. Dante Bosco. Like, everybody does an incredible job performing their their characters um and that can can never be stated enough uh, but you know what i will say is that it is now 12 20 at night um and i'm going to call that an episode uh and we'll, we'll probably listen or we will watch the the remainder of this uh first season and talk about it uh in uh next week's episode i think will be will be a lot of fun so thank you all very much for for listening for me talking about after last year for like 50-ish minutes and i'll see you all next time have a good one everyone